Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, March 21st, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I don't know, I, I kind of, you know, don't always look at this, but we've done uh, 141 episodes now of Wiretaps, which just seems, I can't even believe how many candidates we've profiled. And I just want to say, I always look forward to this time of the week. Like this is, a, you know, I, I don't know, I always have a smile on my face when we get started recording and it's just a, a lot of fun. And hopefully people listening feel that way too, but at least I'm having fun. <laughs> That's 141 weeks of Wiretaps too, Graham. We haven't skipped a week. That's right. I know. It's crazy. And yeah, we've done it in all kinds of weird, I mean, at least I have, I've recorded in so many different places, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I know you've gone through, we had, there was construction at your place and, you know, dogs barking, we've done everything. So it's, <laughs> and dogs continue to bark. <laughs> Tell me what's been going on. Uh, I feel like last week was a complete whirlwind of decisions and stuff, but what, what did we see last week and what's coming up this week? Yeah, we had some big hitters releasing round two decisions last week. Um, at the top of the heap, sort of Duke, Darden, Ross. And what I find really interesting about that, Graham, is these are these are three schools certainly in the same tier and, and three schools that I think are very sort of well-matched in, in mm -hmm. terms of competitively. So lots of candidates, you know, might have heard from, you know, Duke and Ross on the same day um, yeah. because they're applying to both schools. And so, so we saw a little bit of that. They get waitlisted at one, then they get admitted to another. So... Um, so that's very good. Um, also, interestingly, one of the schools, there's a pretty interesting thread on Livewire regarding interview experience. Hmm. Um, so it really behooves schools to, to be very much on top of um, the process, especially when they're using alumni to interview in a virtual setting mm -hmm. and making sure they're not doing it when they're on a train journey or something like that. Did that, that's what happened? You, or, or <laughs> you at mentioned least that. that's what's been reported. I can't oh, no. verify that it actually <laughs> happened, but, right. but oh, you know, at the end of the day, schools really do need to um, uh, make sure they're on top of this stuff because it, it, it's tough for applicants. But I would also then push back to applicants and recognize when you're doing a virtual interview, um, there could be distractions and you've really got to cut through the noise and, and sort of stay calm and, you know, whatever the right way to approach it is, but don't be unnerved by some un less than usual settings, I should say. Right. Now you're reminding me that uh, you stay calm. I'm thinking of, you know, all those T-shirts and things. Stay calm and keep interviewing. You know, exactly. kind of, uh, we need to stay calm and listen to wiretaps. That yes. would be a good, <laughs> a good shirt. Uh, but, you know, going back to this interviewing thing, it's interesting because as I've been interviewing the admissions directors from all these schools, um, and by the way, we've got one coming up with Lisa Rios from NYU Stern. That was a lot of fun that I recorded the other day. But it, it's interesting because I ask them always like, oh, how's your interview process work? And, and, you know, some of the schools use alums and they routinely will say, we love the fact that our alums get this um, point of contact with, you know, potential students and the students get to, you know, really interact with someone who's been through our program and there's nothing that can match that kind of thing. But then when you talk to the schools who don't use alums, they say, we'd like to have better control over the process and consistency. And I think that's the trade-off, right? And you're, yeah. you know, if, if someone's interviewing someone from a train, that's not a good sign. 
And, and so, yeah, whatever school it is probably needs to rein in their alums a bit, give them the manual again on what they're, what, what can and cannot be, can be done. So like you said, this is an ongoing issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough for candidates. Um, yeah. and, and then the, the, you know, you, you'll say candidates after the facts, because they, let's say they're placed on the wait list or they're not admitted. They're like, well, I should have reported the incident, yeah, but I didn't want to do it before the decision. And now only doing it after the decision, I feel like, well, I'm only mm. doing it because of sour grapes. So yeah. I'm just not going to do it at all. So schools become completely um, sheltered from this sort of feedback. They don't get it. Right. And that's why I would say, you know, if anyone ever does have an experience that they want us to convey to the schools, because we're in regular communication with the schools and we can do so anonymously, just send us an email, info at clearedmit.com. Tell us what happened and we can convey. If you just want the school to know about it without necessarily yeah. knowing that it was you, just so they can improve their process, that that's fine. Um, what's coming up this week? What's really interesting, Graham, this year, I'm not saying this happens every year, but this year we seem to have quite a few what we call top 16 programs in, in that tier releasing decisions last week. More M7 programs releasing decisions this upcoming week, which includes Kellogg, Wharton and Booth. And then the following week, it's Harvard and Stanford. So we're seeing from week to week an increase in the sort of the tiers that are releasing decisions. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's fascinating because if you've got great news this week, maybe you get better news next week yeah, and then even better news the following week. And how, how, how does that go? Or, or, or vice versa, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, this isn't um, completely consistent. There are obviously other, other programs um, releasing decisions next week that wouldn't be in the M7. I mean, Anderson, um, Georgetown's next week. Um, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, but there is, seems to be a little bit of a pattern there this, this season. So yeah, very, very interesting. We've yeah. got still a couple of weeks of lots of decisions to come out. Yeah, I love watching them come out. So we'll stay tuned to LiveWire and see as this all unfolds. And obviously people will then be heading to DecisionWire to indicate all their results and where they're going to go or whether they're undecided and want um, our advice or other uh, community members' advice. So over on the website, uh, I'll try to be brief here because we have some candidates to get through in the wiretaps portion here. But on the website, we did uh, a couple of real humans. One is a, a woman who uh, named Stephanie Sorensen. She went to Chicago Booth graduated in 2020 and now works at Disney. Um, and she's kind of an interesting story because she was kind of a more mid-career and did a did the evening and weekend program at Booth, I believe. So that's kind of a different twist um, on the Real Humans alumni piece. We also did one with a woman named uh, Sanchita Shandilia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And um, she is an INSEAD grad from 21. So a very recent INSEAD grad uh, from India originally. And she ended up going to Bain. And she talks a lot about the one-year experience and, you know, kind of why she chose INSEAD. And I believe it was the only school that she applied to. She also had a piece of advice in the article. And I encourage everyone to just read these pieces. But she gave a piece of advice that I thought was great, which was about the importance of your uh, resume or CV and how it's a really great starting point as you embark on the process of applying to business school, which, Alex, I know you and I have talked about before. So I thought that was kind of cool. And something we're going to discuss in the admissions academy, Graham. Yes, yeah. So we're, yeah, that we'll, everyone should stay tuned, but Alex and I have some very cool news coming with respect to a little admissions academy that we're going to be um, 
producing. So stay tuned there. The other thing, Alex, is we did some more career placement outcomes pieces, one about consulting and one about entrepreneurship. And for those of you, you know, tuning in, if you're reading these pieces, we basically aggregate all the career placement outcome reports from the top 20 or I guess it's maybe 28 business schools in America. Um, you know, they all have certain reporting standards. So we're able in most cases to kind of piece everything together and draw some conclusions. And so, you know, consulting being such a big industry, we did a whole piece on that and, and where people land. Um, and then we also did something similar for entrepreneurship. So I don't know if you've been reading those, Alex, I know you like them, so. <laughs> no, I think they're absolutely brilliant. What did you learn from the consulting piece, Graham? Well, I learned that there's really inconsistent reporting when it comes to MBB placements. So some schools, uh, you know, what is it, uh, Chicago, Kellogg, they're, they're literally telling you, like, we sent this many people to McKinsey, this many to Bain, you know, and you can literally just add this stuff up and see what percentage of all the consulting placements are MBB, which is kind of an interesting metric to look at. Um, but then other schools like Wharton or Harvard, they'll just say, oh, um, they either tell you nothing, you know, they'll just give you the broad category of consulting as a percentage of the placements that they had, or they'll have a stat like, you know, oh, at this company on the list, more than two people went there. And I think that's Wharton. So Wharton has, you know, it's like, oh, we sent two people or more to McKinsey, which isn't really useful <laughs> information. Like I'd want to know the number. And so I, I don't know, it's just interesting to see. And it's not, it doesn't seem to be bound by school rank or anything because you have Booth and Kellogg doing it. You also have Duke, I think, and maybe Michigan doing it, but then, you know, other schools are not. So I, I don't know why that is. Yeah, it's a shame because quite honestly, if you could really get a good sense of the percent that go to MBB, to me, that's as revealing as on the finance side, the percent that go to buy side. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That, that's the, where, you know, that's a really good proxies for which are the best schools in, right. in, you know, on the landscape. So, so hopefully better reporting in the future there, Graham. Yeah. And you'll see in the consulting piece, one thing that's interesting is you see that m most people who go into consulting from say MIT Sloan go to MBB. Yeah. Um, which is not the case for a lot of other schools, right? So it's just interesting to see these nuances. But of course, MIT is a small, you know, small class, um, and they don't send as many people to consulting as some of the big, bigger schools, right? Just in raw numbers. But in any event, it's really fascinating to look at this stuff. Um, speaking of employment, we did run a whole story about UT Austin McCombs because they just published their uh, placement stats. And so I'll just give you the real quick numbers there. Um, they had 94% of candidates uh, having you know, who were looking for employment landing a job within three months. And that's actually up from 88% in 2020. So the job market is, I mean, really hot right now. I mean, schools are not having trouble <laughs> placing their grads. $130,000 median salary, $25,000 signing bonus uh, as an average for those who received a bonus. And then when we get to the sort of industry stuff, tech led the way for UT Austin. 34% of those seeking employment and getting a job ended up in tech. 23% uh, to consulting, 17% to finance. And then, you know, the regional stuff's pretty interesting and maybe as you, as you would expect, but you have 66% staying in the Southwest. So Texas and, and, you know, anywhere kind of Arizona, all that stuff. Uh, the West is 13%. Uh, so if you add those two together, you know, we quickly get up into really high numbers here, right? Because 66 plus 13 is 79%. So almost 80% of the class is like staying kind of West Coast or, or Southwest. 7% uh, go to the Midwest, 5% Northeast, 3% South, 2% mid-Atlantic, and less than 2% go work outside of the U.S. 
So any thoughts, Alex, on UT Austin McCombs numbers here? Yeah, I mean, the numbers just support the idea that if you want to work in Texas in the long run, go to UT Austin uh, McCombs. I mean, they're one, one of the programs, to, to me, if you look at all the top sort of 20 programs, they're one of the few that really, really concentrates in its region mm-hmm. um, in terms of placement. I think it, that thing, and obviously they, they've got a burgeoning tax sector down in Texas. Um, so, so, so that plays well for them too. But they do place also on the West. And I always see a little bit of overlap between folks applying to UT Austin uh, McCombs and, and UCLA Anderson Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, in that regard. Yeah, that's yeah. true. There is that overlap. And, you know, like the sort of NYU's, UCLA's, Texas, they, they all have this very um, kind of regionally, you know, focused placement stats, yeah. you know, very heavy in their, in their region. So um, we continue to see that. Uh, I think that's all I had before we get into the candidates. I did want to say that we'll probably get on Clubhouse not this week, but probably next week after we've had a, a you know the bulk of the big decisions come out, so that we can chat with some of our loyal listeners and hear kind of what's been what's been happening to them in terms of decisions. Um, I'm thinking of a few people in particular who I know were on like wait lists or you know ended up applying to some additional schools in round two. And so I'm, I'll be curious. Hopefully, we'll get together with some of our um, regular uh, clubhouse folk and 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 hear all about that. So stay tuned. We'll keep you posted. Um, We'll get we'll get word out on the website as to exactly when we're going to do it, but it should be next week. Anything else from you though, Alex? Before we move into the candidates, now let's kick on. All right. <laughs> so this is uh, Wiretaps candidate number one. So we're going to start off this week with an apply wire entry, and this candidate is looking to start in the fall of 2023. So they're kind of an early bird candidate. They have 10 schools on the target list, and those schools include Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Georgetown, Kellogg, NYU, UT Austin, UVA, and Vanderbilt. And this person's been working in business development and marketing. They want to get into consulting or maybe consumer goods after business school, and they do mention a couple of consulting firms like Accenture and McKinsey as uh, possible targets. Their GPA is a 3.3. It's out of the uh, what they claim to be the best undergraduate business school in Canada, because this candidate is uh, a woman who is from Canada, born and raised in Toronto, uh, and and they have three years of work experience. They want to land in the northeast of the U.S. and they haven't yet taken the GMAT. They mentioned that they're not a great standardized test taker. And they had a little bit of an exchange with you, Alex, as you kind of got into it with them on, you know, some of their questions about the process. But what do you make of this candidate? Because, you know, Canadian female, 3.3, we don't know what the GMAT's going to be. Um, but what's your kind of initial thinking here for this early bird? Yeah, I mean, I, I assume, Graham, they talk about Rotman, um, University of Toronto, in terms of the best business school. I don't, is that, I'm not sure which one they would say it is, because I feel okay. like they're, I mean, I think of, you know, Richard Ivey, Queens, and Rotman. Those yeah. are the three big business schools in Canada yeah, yeah. that I think of, so it must be one of them, yeah. but I'm not sure which one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, very good. But I only asked because I'm actually doing doing a little bit of work um, for, for, for Rotman, oh, wow. um, just an hour of work, so it's not <laughs> like I'm going to work for them. Right, but, right. <laughs> um, but no, very good, very good. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before we came on air. A 3-3 from a Canadian business school is probably not a bad GPA, given that they're, they're, um, given, given, given the lack of grade inflation um, or less grade inflation in Canada. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that's not um, a big issue. 
Um, but it really does put some pressure on taking the GMAT. And I know that she declares that she's not a good standardised test taker. Um, so, but, but obviously preparing as, as well as she can and really targeting, if she can, that sort of 700 level uh, would be great. And, and make sure she takes the GMAT with enough time to retake the GMAT. Yeah. Um, as, as we know, a, major, a, a lot of candidates ultimately take the test um, two or three times. Um, the, the work experience is probably quite good. I mean, it's sales and business development. I like the business development aspect. Um, so if she can show um, growth and impact in that area, I think that, that will be very good. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, she could be um, a, a, a pretty strong candidate overall. I mean, in terms of extracurriculars, um, she, I, I think she was quite busy um, during her undergrad in terms of involvement and so forth, has not had that level of involvement since then. But there may be opportunities to seek out or carve out a niche in terms of supporting women's issues, either at work in terms of um, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion um, activity, or even in their local area, there, there might be things that she could be doing. Right. Um, but overall, Graham, I think, yeah, a, a, a pretty strong candidate here, an early bird candidate who, if she can get that sort of GMAT score um, that, that puts her in play at top schools, I think she clearly could be a, 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 a high caliber profile. Yeah, and I want to just say two things about her. Number one, uh, her, her work is in the food and beverage space. So she works with kind of a small food and beverage um, company. And that's kind of interesting. You know, whenever you're working with a product that people touch, um, I think, you know, you can sometimes... Uh, it's interesting as the admissions reader to kind of read about this stuff. So I, I feel like there could be um, some stuff there that makes her, uh, you know, kind of stand out a little bit. It's not your kind of traditional path necessarily. So I feel like that's an, a, a feather in her cap. And I want to go back to what you said. I mean, she's early in the process, right? And she hasn't taken the test, but, you know, right now she has like six months before the deadlines. And so I would take the test soon, like prep for it and, you know, take it in the next couple of months so that, as you said, she has time to take it again. And I would argue that, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's terrible at these kinds of tests. I did not like, um, taking the GMAT. I mean, it was, you know, I, I studied for it, took it and did not get a good score, but I then, you know, buckled down and, and I just literally, um, I went and took like a class and, and forced myself to literally spend, you know, an hour a day for six weeks, um, on the test. And every weekend took a full length, timed test, you know, and then by the time I got to the real test, it was just sort of old hat. So, you know, it's for retaking it. So I, I think it's really possible to do well, even if you don't like it's, it's learnable, you know, and I know GMAC might, and, and even ETS would tell us otherwise, oh no, this is kind of just measuring your aptitude, but you can learn how to do well on these tests. And she has time to do it. That's the beauty here. It's not like we're in September and she's got to take the test and live with whatever, whatever score she's got. So I think she's going to be competitive. I mean, I, I think, um, there's a lot going for her. As you said, she was really active as an undergrad. She just needs to kind of pick it up right now and, and look for opportunities to do some outside activities. I also wondered if she has some hobbies and things that she's not mentioning here um, because those count too. You know, yeah. it's not just, yeah. So again, I think this is a good candidate and she's got plenty of time to be a great candidate if she puts her mind to it. Yeah, and, and in that regard, Graham, there's no urgency if she can't get all the ducks in a row in round one she's going to be just as competitive in round two. Yes. So again, back to this needing to retake the test just to squeeze another 10 or 20 points. Um, maybe split the apps through over round one and round two 
and so on and so forth. But if, if you're not an over from an overrepresented population, you have a little bit more freedom in terms of which rounds to target. Right. Not round three, but rounds one and two. Yeah, I will say, I mean, she has a really wide range of schools from yeah. arguably Columbia or Kellogg at the top end with respect to admissions competitiveness, you know, down to maybe Vanderbilt um, at the lower end of that spectrum. So, you know, she, she probably can narrow that down once she knows what her score is and we get closer to the deadline. She, she's not going to apply to 10 schools right. um, and she probably will only apply to a few in the first round or maybe she waits for round two. I, I do want to say that if she's serious about Columbia, probably applying early decision makes a lot of sense for them um, because, you know, that's a, a good option. And, and especially if like, you know, she's not, you know, kind of hitting the ball out of the park with the test and wants to kind of get an early edge. But I recognize it's binding and that might cut off other paths to some of these other great schools. So that's something she'll have to debate. But it's an interesting, you know, she's got a lot to do. And so she's just got to keep her head down and get working on it. Great point on Columbia early decision. If you want to be admitted by Columbia, there is an advantage to be in early decision. Yeah, definitely. So I want to thank her for posting. Um, great to see these profiles. And let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry. Uh, this candidate is also looking at fall of 23 and has uh, five schools on the target list. Those schools are Duke, Emory, UNC, UT Austin, and UVA Darden. So a kind of a south-southeast focus. Uh, they've been working in the kind of aerospace defense contractor space, although more in a kind of a functional role that's, I guess, a bit... Um, I feel like it was operations or we'll get into it, but it's, you know, it's not, um, they're not an engineer or something. They're in the kind of business side of things. Uh, they want to get into either consumer goods or maybe aerospace again or, or pharma. They seem to have an open mind post MBA at this point. Um, they mentioned Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, Procter and Gamble, Siemens. So they have a lot of target companies. They maybe still have a little bit of work to do in terms of where they want to be in terms of the industry. Um, their GMAT score is a 690. And that's, I believe they've taken it four times. So I think they're ready to hang up the towel on, you know, working on that test score. GPA is a 3.54. It comes from a top 20 public university. And let's see, three years of work experience. They're located in Florida and they want to land in the Southeast, as you probably could tell from their school selection. The last thing I'll mention, Alex, before I turn it over to you and, and let you kind of weigh in is they wrote a really nice note in their post where they said, hi, Graham and Alex, I'm so excited to finally be applying to business school. I've actually been listening to the podcast since I graduated from undergrad in 2019. So this is definitely surreal to be posting this. And they go on to say, um, you know, thanks for your insights. And I love the podcast. It's helped me to discern so much since I started working after college. So I want to thank them for tuning in for that long. They probably deserve a medal or, or something, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's really cool that they're now at the application phase and they're probably going to be a real expert if they listen to all these episodes and, and, you know, so many different candidates, sort of like the case method, right? So, uh, but what do you make of this? Do you think they've listened to 141 episodes, Graham? God, I, I, I really hope not. I mean, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Yeah. Um, um, well, you we should send them a t-shirt, yeah. you know, I, I... <laughs> uh, but, but no, I, yeah, it's an interesting you know, thing though, because I, I do feel like if they have listened to that many, that means they've literally heard, you know, several hundred real profiles, yeah. um, be assessed and that's got to help them in the long run. Yeah, so, yeah. but what, what do you make of this candidate though? Cause I know you had some back and forth with them. Yeah. I like this candidate. I mean, obviously I, I seem to like all candidates, but, but, <laughs> um, but 
you know, their, their work experience seems solid. I'm not sure that you, you could read this and, and, and be wowed, but certainly very, um, look, looks like good, meaty work experience. Like you say, not on the engineering side of aerospace yeah. um, and so forth, but more in the sort of business end of, um, of, of the business, which is, that's what MBAs are about, right? With, yeah. the, with the business function of the business. So looking at contracts, pricing, and, and they've shown progress, there's more complexity in terms of, of, of the work that they're doing and presumably the clients that they're working on and, 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 or, or contracts they're working on and so on and so forth. So I do like that. You know, their GPA is very solid, sort of right in the sort of median for top programs. I don't think they're overly ambitious in terms of their target schools, no. um, you know. I mean, they're good schools, no doubt, but they have a nice focus in terms of they want to be in the, the southeast. So it makes sense, right, to see Duke and Amory, Keenan Flagler, um, uh, McCombs, we talked about at the beginning of this, is sort of more Texas area, but ne- nevertheless, um, um, and makes sense. And Darden, right? So, so their school selection, I think, is is is, I think, very appropriate for what we're looking at here. Um, there's going to be some concern about the GMAT um, for these schools. It's certainly within range, mm-hmm. um, but probably ten or, or or twenty points below the median. So because it's within range, that's good. They really do need to show um, that there's going to be no academic um, issue. And again, hopefully their GPA confirms that. There's one little wrinkle there in terms of they failed a calculus class, um, Graham, and then they retook it and then they got an A in the retake. Um, so to me, that seems quite a leap, right, from a failure to, a, to, to, to an A. But do you think they need to address that or should they just leave the adcom up to the adcom to sort of observe it? I think they should address it only because I know when I used to look at transcripts, I would kind of quickly scroll through, look at the courses. And if there was an F or a fail like that, I would be looking for that. Yeah. And so it'll jump out at me and then I'd say, wow, why yeah. did they fail calculus? Gee, that's kind of a building block. And I may not... I may not right away find the A that they got in calculus later. I mean, I, you know, I may not know to look for that or so I, I think they would, it would be better for them to just come out and say, I took calculus. I, I was not um, ready for it. And I, you know, and they mentioned, they kind of realized they probably should have withdrew at some point and because they were overwhelmed and, but they didn't, they stuck with it and they got, you know, they failed. And so then they retook it, but they got an A. So I, I feel like, you know, all's well that ends well, like they did get an A in calc and, yeah. and their GPA is fine. They went to a good school. Yeah, I, I just think they need to be out in front on it. I would, they didn't share this, but I would like to know what are those percentiles on the GMAT? Because I, I would be, you know, if if the quant percentile is really weak, that could be a red flag, right? So, yeah, but yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. But I would imagine with their, their GPA, um, they, they're going to show a pretty good amount of quant in, in their undergrad. And yeah. their, their, their work experience is probably quite heavily quant focus, which will help. I'm going to ask you another question, Graham. I like this person's extracurriculars. There's, you know, what, what we, one of the things that we like about extracurriculars, or when I say we, I'm talking about adcom, mm-hmm. is it shows that the person's more well-rounded. It shows that the person will contribute and engage um, outside of work and so on and so forth. So to me, that's all very positive. Sometimes our advice to offer is don't talk about religion, politics, and money, 
grain. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm thinking back to our admissions academy work that we're putting together. Right, right. <laughs> this person's extracurriculars are about religion. Why don't you address that um, and, and, and perhaps provide a little bit of guidance here? Yeah. So um, first of all, I think they have really strong extracurriculars. So one of the things they do is they volunteer each month at a food bank. And the other thing they do is they helped create and are now a leader for their church's young adult group. So it's people between 20 and 30 um, who, you know, are getting together, meeting regularly and stuff. So I actually, this is fine. Um, I think, you know, you don't want to proselytize in your applications, you know, but just as it's same with politics, right? If you're working for a Democrat or a Republican, it shouldn't be so much about taking a stance on an issue in your application, like trying to convince people that, you know, gun control is important or abortion is bad or, you know, whatever your point of view might be like that. That's a no, no, the same way you wouldn't tell people that being Christian is, you know, really important or something. Right. Um, but talking about the the nuts and bolts of like, oh, I created this group, I'm now leading it, and there are, you know, uh, whatever it is, 20, 30, 40 members, and, and we, you know, we get together regularly, and it's created a network, and, you know, that, that's all fine. And I mean, look, every business school has uh, different faith groups on campus that people belong to, you know, some people are religious, some people aren't, and there's, you know, just the way that a school is going to have a, you know, a running club or whatever, like there's something for everyone, and each school needs people for each of these clubs. So I don't have a problem with this person's ECs being religious based. I think it's, you know, it sounds like they're doing great stuff. And yeah, so as long as they're not, you know, kind of proselytizing, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and you focus on a couple of things, you know, they, they set it up, um, they led it. Yeah. And there's impact as a result of this initiative. So mm -hmm. if you can check those three, setting it up, leading, impact absolutely fantastic yeah i i mean honestly like i i like this candidate i think that um you know the gmat is a it's a, it's not great um but i feel like you know like you said they have a reasonable list of target schools i did mention you before we came on air that i wondered about whether or not it would be smart to have a vanderbilt or a georgetown in the mix here um just given if you look at the placements and you know, th there could be some logic to that. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, but they have a good list. And frankly, um, it's, you know, D Duke probably sits at the top of that list with Darden, but they also have Emory and UNC, which have slightly better admissions odds as a rule. So, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I feel like they're doing all the right things. It's obvious to me that they've listened to a lot of Wiretaps episodes. <laughs> yeah, they must have done. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but what about the goals? Like right now, uh, yeah, talk about the goals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the other the, the other issue. And, and we, we talked about this um, directly on apply wide, just make sure these goals are focused um, and, and you know, whether it's by industry or, or whatever it might be, you want to come across as someone that's really thought through why they're getting the MBA, why at that school and what their pathway is going to look like in the short run, i.e. Where, where you want to recruit directly after the program as well as in, in the sort of medium long run in terms of what is your impact in sort of business and society in the long run and how's all that going to map together. Yeah. So this person could focus their goals a little bit more. This is, you know, someone with three years of experience, generally that does correlate with less focus goals. And the more you work, the more focused you are in terms of what your future is going to be and so on and so forth. And they have time, again, just like our first candidate, over the next several months to um, really um, focus and fine tune their, their pathway going forward. Yeah. And the last thing I was going to say about them is they mentioned like after business school, 
They'd love to work in supply chain or strategy. Mm. Um, so that's the function. And so I think they should pick one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, either is fine. I think supply chain is kind of interesting in that it obviously maps to a very clear kind of major, like I'm going to do operations. And it's less common than just strategy, which could be consulting. Or, yeah. um, so, and then they also say either CPG or healthcare. Again, I would just pick one. Um, when I think about their school list, you know, obviously a Duke's really good for healthcare. Actually, Vanderbilt's pretty good for healthcare. Um, you know, they should think about, they want to be in the Southeast. So where, what companies are there and available to them, um, given the placement does tend to fall in the region. <laughs> um, so it's just something to think about, but I, I feel like they have time to put that together and, you know, they've listened to enough episodes to not, you know, need to have us tell, tell them that. <laughs> um, so I, I think they'll be fine. <laughs> should they include a, a Kellogg or, a, 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 or another M7 into the mix just to make sure that they've absolutely maximized their opportunities? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I could see if the application was incredibly compelling. I mean, they have great extracurriculars, solid undergrad, interesting mm -hmm. work. If the goals come together around a nice, you know, um, yeah, I, I could see a, a Kellogg, you know, taking a flyer just to see, um, you know, or even a Wharton, like, a, you know, given that those are the two big kind of healthcare programs. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I think they could always, you know, try some schools in round one, see where that leaves them and stuff. I mean, if they're, if they're admitted to Duke, Right. Yeah. Then they get admitted across the board. Right. They, they'd have to wonder, did they aim high enough? Right. Yeah. So, so right. that's the advantage of you should take a flyer in this case. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get admitted, that should you should feel perfectly fine about that. At least you'll know when you go to Duke or what, whichever school is the case here. Mm -hmm. you, you you gave it all your best shot and Duke's a great op opportunity. Yeah. So agreed. So I'm, I'm a big, big fan of um, taking a flyer for sure. Yeah. All right, so um, I want to thank that person not only for tuning in over the years here, but but also for submitting their profile. A lot of fun to discuss. Um, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is a decision wire entry. This person doesn't know where to go. They applied to Berkeley, Kellogg, NYU, Stanford, UCLA, and Wharton. And they ended up with acceptances at Stern, UCLA, which is actually giving them a $150,000 scholarship, and Wharton. And they're going to start this fall. They want to work in consulting, most likely. And they mentioned, you know, BCG and McKinsey. I think they're also a little bit open to tech, it sounds like, because they had Microsoft on the list of possible targets as well. They had a 710 on the GMAT and a 3.4 GPA. Um, so pretty good results, right? I mean, they got into some good schools. They're located in San Francisco. And they mentioned that... Um, they have a consortium fellowship for UCLA. So they're really trying to decide, you know, between whether they go to UCLA with basically a free ride or Wharton with no money. And they mentioned, well, this is really tough because Wharton is my dream school, but I'm not sure if it makes sense to put myself in massive debt. Help. <laughs> so what do you make of this? And, and talk a little bit about what was said on the site, because a bunch of folks weighed in, yourself, Elliot, and then one of our community members who's got three stars and has you know, a long history of providing great advice. So what do you, what do you make of this one? Yeah, not, not only a long history of providing great advice, but our most starred contributor yes. on, in the lifetime of the wise. That's right, so, yeah. Um, um, so, so, yeah, I mean, the advice, I mean, I love... Elliot's point of view, um, not not in this post, but they they they'd done an, a previous post when when they didn't have the additional money from from Anderson, and he called it the regret factor. <laughs> um, if Wharton is your dream school, and you choose not to go to Wharton when you have been offered admissions there, 
then are you going to be regretting that decision? Is there going to be a, a buyer's remorse or whatever the, the, the psychological term is um, for that? Um, and I, I got to think that that absolutely captures the essence of, of this person's sort of considerations. Um, so, yeah, getting a full ride at Anderson, absolutely fantastic. If this person knew that they wanted to remain on the West Coast, or more certainly if they wanted to be in LA, I'd be like, take the money and run. Absolutely fantastic. But they don't know that. Um, they, they want the flexibility of, of New York City, and maybe Texas from where they are, or LA. Um, and to me, that makes Wharton much more of, 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 of a viable choice. I mean, I don't know what their tolerance for debt is and their access to, you know, that. So, so you know, that's going to be a, a personal decision on their, um, their, 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 their stand. But I got to think 10 years out of school, if they could have dealt with the debt 10 years out of school as a Wharton alum, their opportunities are going to be... Um, a little bit better than 10 years out of school yeah. as an Anderson alum. Um, and obviously I'm a little bit biased because I know what that 10 years out of Wharton can look like. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, I think the majority of the conversation is steering this candidate to, to Wharton. They came back to the site because they got more money um, from Anderson, but I still think that folks were, were generally favorable to Wharton in this case. Yeah. It's a really interesting, you know, debate and, and the, um, one of the, the the commenter that you mentioned, who's our kind of highest ranked uh, uh, member of the community, they have three hundred and eighty three likes on their posts. Nearly as many as you, Graham. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> they said, uh, I generally lean to taking the dollars over rank in most situations, yeah. as I feel people get too caught up in the rankings and prestige game when their goal is achievable, you know, from their other admits. But I start to favor Wharton in your case, they said. So I think, you know, it, it is true. It's, uh, as Elliot said, you don't want to regret the decision. And I think the things that jumped out at me, I'll be really brief here, is number one, they called Wharton their dream school. Yeah. It's hard to walk away from your dream. Number two, they mentioned they don't want to be stuck out West. And, you know, we look at the placement stats and, you know, obviously there are a lot of people landing out West who go to UCLA. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, Some of that will be self-selection. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Just to be sure. Yeah. But that's where your network's going to be. Right. And then, you know, the third point out is the MBB. They talk about wanting to maybe work at MBB as a strong possibility. And so obviously Wharton probably gets the nod there. And then, you know, they mentioned like other top firms that they might want to go to. And again, the Wharton network and stuff. And the last thing I was going to say is, I don't know if they've done it, but they should ask Wharton to whether they can do anything on the money front. You know, they say, look, I, I really want to come to Wharton. It's been my dream. Yeah. But I now have $150,000 on the table from Anderson. And I recognize Anderson's not as highly ranked as Wharton, but I, I would really appreciate if the committee could consider, um, you know, some kind of financial aid here. Yeah. So uh, you never know what's going to happen. If you do it politely in writing, you don't just call them up. You write a nice letter explaining. Um, maybe they'll get some money and mm. that could make the decision easier. But I, I think, um, yeah, it's an interesting quandary <laughs> so yeah. i mean i would consider it a two-tier gap yeah. between anderson and wharton sure so yeah it is a pretty considerable gap and yeah i think i cannot agree with more with with your commentary there
Yeah. So um, I want to thank that person for sharing this dilemma because we had a lot of good comments on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, and obviously, Alex, thanks for picking these out as you always do. Um, we've done it again, gone through our three candidates and all the latest news and notes from the MBA admissions front. Um, but uh, we'll do it all next week. And yeah, I want to just remind everyone who's listening, please remember to rate and review the show. It really helps us to attract additional listeners and to keep the show going every week. So please, you know, rate, review, tell, you know, tell anybody you know <laughs> to tune in. And uh, we always love to have more listeners. So thanks, Alex, though. We'll see you in a week, in one week's time, I guess. Yeah, brilliant. Stay safe, everyone. Best of luck. Take care.